the concept of progress acts as a protective mechanism to shield us from the terrors of the future. From Collected Sayings of Muhadib by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And I'm Nevin Diaz. And together, we are going to read some Dune. Yeah, we are. Are we glitchy? Does anybody know if we're glitchy? We have eight people watching right now. Respond yes if we're glitching hardcore. <laughs> I'm just going to continue as we go through this. Yeah. Okay. All right. Evan, going? Pretty good. All right. So today I'd like to read an email from our friend Joe Shanahan. Cool. Let's do it. He says, hey, Caleb and Evan. Your podcast has been great and great. And like Evan, I too am a first time reader of yes. Dune. Celebrate all the first time readers out there. So far, my favorite parts have been the Harkonnen chapters. Really? He likes them. And, wow. then, and also the recent chapter of Jessica and Paul conversing with the Fremen trying to figure out if they can trust one another. Yes. I also love how Paul realizes his Harkonnen heritage. Yeah, that was, that was cool. Star Wars did a clear ripoff of what this is. Ripoff. Let's call it inspiration. Let's we're all on the same team we're, here. We're trying our best. The Harkonnen chapters to me really paint a great picture of who the true villain is. Yeah. From his scheming, treatment of subordinates, including his own nephew, the overall narcissism, he just oozes evil. A few points I thought about when reading those chapters. One, the scene where the reader, the reader is led to believe he's about to rape a young man slash slave. <laughs> I read, I read this in two ways, Joe Shanahan did. Uh, the first being the literal interpretation of rape. The second is he wanted a drugged boy to either torture or kill as a fantasy of what he wants to do to Paul. Oh. Not necessarily sexually perverse, but it technically could be. And yeah, Joe, that's what I read too, is that he wants somebody like Paul so he can act out his fantasy. Um, which is equally creepy. Yeah. The second point Joe says is that Baron's narcissism and the way to manipulate people to do things for his benefit is pretty impressive. Like having a plan to rid his mentat Piter without the mentat having a clue, despite his abilities, are pretty wild. Yeah. And the fact he's already planning to destroy his less favored nephew, Mr. Uh, Beast, by putting him in an overall in a bad situation and having him exploit it, overall the Baron's is an evil figure. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, like uh, in Harry Potter, Ollivander talks about Voldemort. And he says, like, he did great things. Terrible. Yes, but great. You know? That was really good. Thank you. You should do voice acting around here. Oh, let's do it. Paul says, cheers, guys. Keep up the good works and stay spicy. Joe, thank you so much for your email. And uh, yeah, let's jump into the dudes. Let's do it. It's kind of a long chapter. It's a very long chapter. Yeah. So. All right. Jim says our audio is fine, but the video is lagging. Yeah, the video might be lagging, and I apologize. Sorry, friends. All right. So, where are we in the chapter? <laughs> uh, we're at the part where Anna Van Loon talks about how we're uh, a Bible right. study. If if you end up becoming live, get go live with us. You can comment with us. And Anna Van Loon has a comment that says, "Okay, everybody, it's Orange Catholic Bible Study Night. Get out your spicy casseroles, <laughs> bust out the hymnals, and let's sing some songs of Muhadib." Oh man, yeah. Somebody, somebody uh, 
tweeted us, I think, and said, oh, you're somebody, uh, her husband, right? Yeah. Said, oh, you're doing your uh, sci-fi Bible study night. That's <laughs> just like, that is exactly what we're doing. <laughs> As we dissect this book slowly and try to find the injured pieces. Anyway, yeah, long okay. after. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, so we are on the planet Deep Prime. Deep Prime. The home planet of the Harkonnens. Yikes. When was the last time we were at the planet? Um, right at the beginning with Fade, Fade Routha. How do I say that? Routha. Routha? Yeah. yeah. With Fade Routha, mm-hmm. um, he was um, being taught a lesson. That's what I remember. Yeah, that's where we got Piter's full plan. Yeah. How we were going to get rid of Ducalito and get Arrakis back. Mm-hmm. That was the last time we were at the chapter. When was the last time we were with the Harkonnens? It's been a, it's been a, it's been a minute. They were. It was still on Arrakis, wasn't? It? Yeah. It was. It was when Leto died and tried to kill the Baron, mm-hmm. and ended up killing Piter, but not the Baron. Right. Yeah. Right. That, yes, that was the last time we were with the Harkonnens. We've been traveling with Paul, kind of ever since, back and forth. Right. Um. So yes. So. They Harkonnens have gained the planet back of Arrakis. The Baron is living comfortably um, in Harko. As comfortably as you can live while being the Baron Harkonnen. <laughs> He's got all the food he could possibly right, want. Yeah. So we're here on Giddy Prime for the planetary holiday, celebrating the birthday uh, for the one and only beloved, not Baron, hair designate, to the Harkonnen legacy, Fade Routha Harkonnen. Woo! Yay, Fade Routha. No, okay, so Nah Baron. Nah Baron. It's like soon to be Baron. Yeah. That's the vibe. That's, yeah, right. That's, that's like the the person, like the prince yeah. to the king. But in Baron terms. Correct. Sweet. Yeah, he's the one that's next in line. So they're going to sell. The whole planet has been closed to celebrate his birthday. Um, yeah, and it's, uh, it's just I just hate the Harkonnens because they closed down the whole city, right? So the old Baron has decreed that the people must rest from their labors, mm. and instead, the effort has been spent on the city of Harko to create this illusion of gaiety, of grandeur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. Do, stop your work and instead work on this giant party instead. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's like a fake, a fake Sabbath for Giddy Prime. <laughs> yes. All right, everyone stop your work and instead work on this project. <laughs> Call it a holiday. No. Okay. I thought from reading, I thought it was like planet wide, like the whole planet stopped yeah. working. Yeah. So it, they, they said like from Meridian to Meridian. Right. Is that what that means? Yeah. Well, that's like the, the probably the, they probably don't work at the poles. Where as Iraq is, everything is on the top of the pole. Okay. But from here, it's probably like all the way around the, the big part of the planet. Gotcha. There's a holiday. Okay. For Fade Routh's birthday party. Whack, but okay. <laughs> Banners flew atop buildings. There was new paint on the walls. Wow. Everyone stopped your work and instead were throwing a party for Fade Routha. There are two special guests coming to this party. Indeed. There's the Emperor's BFF Forever. And former residents of the Arakeen Castle. Yes. Count Fenring and his Bene Gesserit lady. Yes. Lady Fenring, who unfortunately has no name. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. 
I think we should vote first that name up. lady, last name Fenry. I that's her title. I think Frank should have given her a name. I gotta check the the weirding room because that's yeah. the only other time she's really mentioned. Gotcha. She maybe looked, we just maybe we just want to keep her shrouded in mystery a little bit. She's definitely been a Jesuit yeah. through and through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So the count and his lady were invited to sit in the golden box. Yes. In the triangular gladiator arena to watch Fade kill his 100th slave gladiator in the Harkonnen mm-hmm. family games. Yay! Everything, every little thing about the Harkonnens is creepy. Every little thing. It's like, he's going to kill his 100th slave. That phrase alone has so many weird, creepy things in it. <laughs> yes. All of them. He's 17. So he's been killing slaves oh, for a while. Um, who else? Random question. Who else was a Harkonnen slave gladiator that we know? Um, um, yeah, you got Alec? You got right here, yeah. Ink Gurney? Vine, ink vine scar. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Gurney. I forgot. Wait, so Duke Leto, um, in one of the raids, mm-hmm. freed a bunch of slaves. On one, Giddy Prime. On Giddy Prime, one of them being Gurney Halleck, and that's where Gurney like said, No, I am fighting for you because you were the one who rescued yes. slaves. Gurney. So that's like a lot of a lot of where he, he's wanted to fight and all sort of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, okay. Super cool. So we have a context for who these slave gladiators are that uh, Fade Routha kills for sport and for fun mm. and for pleasure, probably. Ooh. Although that there's a magnificent party happening in the city of Harco, I'm thinking like um, Hunger Games, you know, where they're going to the yeah. capital and there's just all this ornateness. Right. Right. So, but the lady in the count noticed that right behind this, all the facades, there's trash heaps, yeah, dark polluted puddles, scurrying of people like rats mm. in the background, just off the main street. Yeah. So the uh, it's the, everything is an illusion, right? The, all, the, all is not as it should be is very obvious here. Yes. Or all is not as it seems, I should say. Uh, yeah, I think Giddy Prime has a has a, and the Baron's has himself has a uh, reputation as not being the cleanest, most friendly place to be. So this just feels like a one big show. Yep. It's gross. It's gross. It gets even worse. So they get into the Baron's blue walled keep. I just imagine this big blue castle, probably kind of round. Cause I think he like likes round things that mirror <laughs> his own image. Um, there there's fearful perfection. Yeah. A great, price has been paid active troops everywhere acting as guards right it said it said even like the servants seem to have military training right shoulders back in the way they walk so i pictured like the housekeeper somebody with like hors d'oeuvres but they all look like soldiers they all walk like soldiers so it's like every yeah and spooky and they're all watching you like spies yeah constant now the fenrings are kind of odd Yes, they're I, it's the only word I can describe. They're an odd bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I'm wearing my odd jacket today and my odd glasses. <laughs> I like it. You don't look odd. You look fabulous. You Thank look you. Fantastic. Uh, for those of you listening, I look like Charlie Brown. <laughs> this is the most accurate description. All right, a really hip Charlie Brown. Thank you. It's the 21st century. <laughs> now the Fenrings have a secret language to which they talk to each other. They like yes. mumble, hum, 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 
Um, Which would be very useful in marriage, <laughs> I believe. And I mean, these Count Fennering is, we know him from Princess Irulan's writings mm-hmm. as like the emperor's right-hand man. Yeah. So, and of course, I'm sure Lady Fennering is also pretty high up in the Bene Gesserit yeah. order. So they've got, they're, they're, they have their own secretness. Right. And they're weird about it, probably for their own advantage. Yeah. We're going to see that. Right. Okay, you know who I pictured as uh, uh, the Count, Count Fenring? Okay, who? No, Pick, picture this. Me. Picture this. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> That's what I said! Yes, dude! <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, you know, like, acting super weird and like, yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, we're gonna um, hit that boy. Yeah. You know, like, Making weird awkward. facial expressions. And then later on. Something else happens, but we'll get to that. But. Yes, Jeff Goldblum is the only person. There's like one or perfect. two others, but ah, oh, so good. Okay, so the count hums. The pressure is on. The Baron is just beginning to see the price he really paid to rid himself of Duke Leto. And he's talking about how like uh, everything is strict now. Like the Duke Leto was rising in his ranks, and because he is gone. The Harkonnens have kind of taken that place and that void in Chom in the Landsrad. Right. So they're now like anybody wants to take them out as well. Yeah. And of course, them being Harkonnens, they're most likely going to get taken out in the same way as they took other people out. Right. So you need to beef up security. Yeah. And Lady Fenring says this very interesting thing. She says, "Sometimes I must recount for you the legend of the Phoenix." Ooh. Which I think is really telling because we know what, what Paul is doing, right? We know what the what the Atreides line is happening. You may you think you killed it, but what's actually happening? Yeah. Do you think Lady Fenring knows that? No, uh, you think no. she like she has no idea. I don't think she at any point in time knows what's actually happening on Arrakis. But okay, because she kind of alludes to the same kind of thing. This is what Later happens in, in stories. Sometimes stories repeat themselves. Yeah. Myths come from somewhere. Yeah. All right. So as the Count and the Lady walk into the reception hall of the Baron's Keep, there are families minor that are kind of gathering around. Yeah, who cares? So there's, you know, it's the, the, they're working up their noble ranks. Right. B-list. B- yeah. B-list celebrities. They're not grace houses. They're just, you know, minor houses. And... The hall is about 40 meters in width and it's full of false pillars. False pillars? I do not yeah. remember reading that. What not that even the pillars are real in the house. So they're just there to seem, seem grandiose uh-huh. and fancy? Everything is to meant to look a certain way, but it's not a certain way. And so they're greeted by the Baron walking down the hall. He's moving the length of the hall with his particularly little waddle, kind of yeah. gliding. <laughs> his feet are like touching the ground, but like his heels kind of like never touch. His skin is just bouncing. And his, his Spencer weight just hung there. His jowls bobbed up and down. Oh, no. And everything jiggled and shifted beneath his orange robe. And I must compliment the bear on this, right? He has a blue keep. Wearing orange. His colors are like contrasting. Oh, he's using some serious color theory. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> he, may, he knows a lot there, that Baron. <laughs> and at the Baron's elbow walks in Fade Rautha. Now, in contrast to the Baron, Fade, of course, 
wore a wore a skin tight tunic. Oh yeah, he keeps it tight and skin tight trousers with a slight little bell bottom right there at the end. It's very strange, very strange and, fashion choice. And soft slippers covering his feet. I like to picture him in all black, yeah. like leather. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Is like yes. super tight. That's way more. Uh, that's way more cyberpunk than I thought, but I like it. What were you thinking? A spandex. Okay, well, yeah. Like cheesy 80s, sort of glittery spandex. I definitely see some, like, when he walks in, there's some, like, some 80s, like, rock music playing in the background whenever he comes <laughs> it's out. Van Halen. Yeah. Uh, Evan has not seen the 1984 Dune movie, so not. hold your emails and thoughts till then. <laughs> because once, Evan, once you see who it actually is played in the movie... You're going to laugh so okay. hard. Good but, to know. Yeah. All right. So Lady Fenring looks at Fade as he's walking in and thinks to herself, this one won't let himself get fat. Mm. Because, you know, the Harkonnens have a tendency to let themselves get a little large. They, they you know, on the glutton and the lust yeah. and everything else. But yeah. This this Harkonnen, he's got pride a little bit too hard in there. Right. And again, we do not believe in fat shaming here at Reading Dune. Not at all. Unless, Unless. we're talking about the Baron Harkonnen. That is the only the only person we will fat shame in this world. Oh my gosh. Everyone yes. else is beautiful just the way they are. Except for the Baron Harkonnen. He's gross. Yep, in He's every single gross, way. gross, and that's the way it is. That's just the way it is. <laughs> Things will never be the same. There you go. Thank you. All right. Uh, where are we at? The Baron stops in front of the Count and his lady possessively grabs Fade's arm, kind of pulls him forward, saying, my nephew, the name Baron Fade, Rotha Harkonnen. And then he turns to, like, Fade, the Count and Lady Fenring, of whom I've spoken. Fade looks the lady up and down. Uh Uh-oh. Seeing her golden hair, her perfection of figure. Seeing her eyes stare at him, Noticing her Bene Gesserit repose, which Fade found subtly disturbing, yet also slightly exciting. Fadey boy. Come on, Fade, Fade wants some action. He's looking at this Bene Gesserit and saying, mm, I want me some BG right now. <laughs> which is right up his alley. That's something I think he would do. Yeah. I mean, he is a Nate Baron. Who's going to say no to him? Who? I don't know. <laughs> so as introductions are still taking place, Fade looked around at the Count, which he found insulting. Yeah. The Count was small, weak-looking, weaselish, over-large dark eyes. As his head moved one way, the hand moved the other way, it was very hard to follow. Plus, he had this crazy stutter for some reason. Because he's Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> That's the only way to describe it. The, uh, uh, life, uh, finds a way. <laughs> I, uh, congratulate you on your, uh, mm, uh perfection <laughs> of, uh, 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 air. In the light of a mm, elder, mm, one might say. The That's count, good. The that count really said. Good. So I think he's saying that like, hey, Baron, your nephew he's so is precise. He's precise. Yeah, precise is the word I think he is. Yeah. The Baron says, you are too kind. Looking down at Fade, like you could please say this compliment. At, well, you know, return the compliment, Fade. Right. But Fade just is like, no, 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 I'm not. This dude's creepy. I don't feel it. Yeah. But as a lady, though, hey. <laughs> Listening to the Count, Fade gave the feeling his head was being pushed through a mush of mmm and ahs of the <laughs> stutter. And since he was too hard to understand, Fade felt 
focus his attention on something else easier on the eyes. Miss Lady Fenrir. Mm. Still checking her out. He says to her, I shall make a kill for you this day, my lady. I shall make a dedication in the arena with your permission. Oh, but the, the brakes. But the lady did not approve. You do not have my permission, she says to him. And the Baron freaks out. Fade! He yells at his nephew, thinking, that imp, does he want this deadly count to call him out? Yikes. But the count only smiled and said, hmm. <laughs> Which he's probably saying something to the Lady Fenring at that point. We just have no oh idea God. what he's saying. Mm-hmm. That boy got balls. That's what he just said. <laughs> but, but I think this, we just want to pause here because the, the count is weird. Yes. Odd-shaped, odd-looking, but the Baron is frightened of him. Right. More frightened than he was of Duke Lido. Apparently. So that that's there's a there's a juxtaposition there of like you don't look intimidating, but he's been known to kill people really easily. Right. So you want to like watch what you say there. Mm. All right. So the Baron looks over at Fade. You uh, must really be. A, you must get ready for the arena, Fade. You must be rested, not to take any foolish risks. <laughs> like don't make a move on the lady, bro. It's time for you to go. <laughs> Fade bowed, his face dark with resentment. <coughs> I'm sure everything will be as you wish, Uncle. He nodded to the Count Fenring. Sir, and to the lady, he said, My lady. My lady. He, tur- oh. he turned and strode out of the hall. <laughs> as Fade walked out, as Fade walked out, the Lady Fenring thought, Can that be the young man the Reverend Mother meant? Is that the bloodline we must preserve? What she's thinking right there. Uh, <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Oh. Do we really want... How bad do I need to do this? He kind of sucks. I don't really want to do it. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> the Baron looked at the Count and said, We have about more than an hour before Fade's time in the arena. Perhaps we could have our little chat now. Oh, here we go. A little chat. He tipped his head to the right. There's a considerable amount of progress to be discussed. Yes. Wait, is this, uh, is this, did they get to the silent? Place? No, we're about to go to the, okay, the cone okay, of shame. Okay, 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 I mean, okay. the silence cone right here. So, but yes, yeah, so, uh, the, the bear, not the Baron didn't just invite them to Fade's birthday party. I think they like said, I need to talk to you. And he's like, Hey, how's Fade's birthday party? And he was like, Actually, that sounds like a great time. Yeah. So I think, mm. I think the emperor kind of reached out first yes, yes, and says, yes. I'm sending over, uh, the count right to do this. And of course the Bene Gesserit also sent the lady Fenring too, but no one probably knows that except the ladies. The count turned, the lady dismissed herself and they said some, mm, probably using their secret language to communicate. Yeah. She turned and walked away. The whole hall went silent as everybody watched her leave. And this is where the Baron thinks, Bene Gesserit. The universe would be better rid of all of them. Because they just like, just being B'nai Jesuit makes people scared. Oh, they own every room yeah. they're in. No matter how much power, quote unquote, you think you have, right. B'nai Jesuit in the room holds, holds all it's of the just power. terrifying. Yes. And, and again, it's the way they hold themselves. The way they, they can like flex every muscle, know how everything works in their bodies. They are in control of every situation, as Lady Jessica has shown us over and over again. The Baron led the way, and he waddles over to the cone of silence between two pillars, where the Baron and the Count could talk without being overheard. 
Here we go. Here it is. The conversation. The count started off straight away. We're not satisfied with the way you ordered the Sardaukar off a Rackus. Okay, okay. Back to Jeff Goldblum. Okay, yeah. So, like, he's being all um, weird. Uh, Jeff Goldblum me and, um, hmm, and uh, blah, blah, blah. And then, as soon as they get into the, the cone of silence, he's like, We're not satisfied with the way that, you know? You notice that too. Very, see, I, I wrote tone shift in my book. Yeah. Like, he's literally just super weird and like twitchy and awkward and like doing all the stuff. And then, as soon as they're in the, co- the cone of silence, he's just, we're not satisfied with the way you ordered the starter car off a rack. Like, boom. Switches. And it's like, whoa, down. But even even the Baron's like, okay, sh- a straight a straight word. It's just like, we're going straight to it. We're not playing politics anymore. Right? Right. We have something to discuss. So it's like the whole twitchy, uh, stuttery thing is just like an act. Yeah. Yeah. Just, that's that's crazy. The yeah. whole thing is, is um, oh no. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, there's a, there's a, that's why Count Fennering is so, people are so scared of him. Right. Because that tone switch automatically smith means there's more at play. Right. Way more behind the scenes. Why is that light twitching? I don't know. The light is twitching over there. I want to fix the light. All right, Evan gets up to fix the light. Caleb continues talking. The Sardaukar could not stay longer without risking that others would find out how the Emperor helped me. The Baron said. So uh, evidently, what happened is there was the attack on Arakin. They secured the major cities. They got the spice factories. They made sure all the Atreides were dead. And the Harkonnens then told the Sardaukar to take off. Right. right. So they weren't there that long. The Count rebuttaled. But your nephew, Roban, does not appear extremely enough towards a solution of the Fremen problem. So this bears the question of like, what's the Fremen problem? Because the uh, Harkonnens don't seem too worried about the Fremen, right? But yet, the Emperor is. Well, now that one's flashing. The Baron replies, "There could not be more than a handful of Fremen left." The southern desert is uninhabitable, and the northern desert is regularly swept by our patrols. So this begs the question, this is what the Count says. Who says the southern desert is uninhabitable? Ah. Big question. This is your moneymaker question. And this is, I think the Baron has a great answer. Your own planetologist said it, my dear Count. Kind has been saying that from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah, there's no need to go to the south. The south is, there's nothing there. We don't even live there. But also, like, the Baron knows what happened to Kynes. Yeah, he was, uh uh-huh. Which is just slimy that he even said that, you know? And that's where the, I think the Baron's biggest miss is not counting on the friend. Right. So, yeah. And this is where, uh, so yeah, your own planetologist said it. But, But Dr. Kynes is dead. And Baron goes, ah, yes, that is unfortunate. Mm. Uh, The Count says, we've had word from overflight across southern reaches. There's evidence of plant life. The Baron argues, has the guild then agreed to watch from space? But, right, so if if you imagine that there are plant life there, first thing you would do is ask the guild, hey, guild, you got eyes up there. Is there plant life? But the guild won't do that. 
The guild won't do that. We know why. Baron, no one else knows why. Right. You know better than that, Baron. The Emperor cannot legally post a watch on Arrakis. Probably because the guild told them they can't do that. Probably. And I cannot afford it, said the Baron. Who made this overflight? A smuggler, says the Count. Then someone has lied to you, Count. That's the problem with spies. You never know if they're telling the truth. Raban's men can navigate the southern reaches better than smugglers. Plus, with the storms and sand static and all of that, everything gets destroyed. The Baron started to smell his own sweat. <laughs> and the suspensors' harnesses started to itch. That's, he, he's nervous now. He's really nervous. Right. Gosh, I do not like that. The Baron, the Emperor, up oh, to it. The Baron says, the Emperor cannot be unhappy about the death of the concubine and the boy, the Baron said. They fled into the desert. There was a storm. Right? They're dead. I didn't do it. You right. can't be too pissed about that. <laughs> the Count says, yes, yes. There were many convenient accidents. Mm. The Count agreed. Like, obviously. It's it's the convenience of all that. They were, they were even talking about it when they were planning all of these yeah, accidents. We like, can't know what happened because the Emperor's truth sayer right. might know something. Yes. <sighs> the Baron and the Count continued their chat, all of them trying to secure the upper hand. The Count says, if he was to have a convenient accident here on Harco, the Great Houses would learn what the Baron did on Arrakis. Like, if you kill me, I'll let them know. The Baron counters by saying, if they learn that... It was the emperor that helped him with Imperial Sardaukar. They might do something, which the count says. Then the Sardaukar would have, they would have said they would have acted this alone because they need practice killing something and the Fremen are good sports. Right. Right. The count tells the Baron that eventually the, the emperor would like to audit the Baron's books, which of course the Baron has no questions with because if the emperor were to lay an allegation against him and, and in Chom, Mm-hmm. The great houses would not stand with the emperor because he was like, no, 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 please do that. I have everything on the books that says I'm good. I can say you're going after me and threatening me and I can grab all the houses to go on my side. This is exhausting. It's <laughs> politics, man. <laughs> this is exactly it. Baron, the Baron says that the emperor has inspired him. That the Harkonnens would love to make Arrakis a prison planet. So they could work the spice. Much like the Emperor's own Seleucus Secundus, home of the Sardaukar. The Count asks if the Baron anticipates an increase in prisoners. The Baron replies, there has been unrest. We've had to squeeze rather severely. After all, you know the price I paid that damnable guild to transport our mutual force to Arrakis? That money has to come from somewhere. Right. Okay, so this is not the first time Arrakis has been compared to um, was it? Seleucus, Seleucus Secundus. Yes. Last time was uh, comparing the Fremen to the Sardaukar, right? Because uh-huh. the Sardaukar are trained on um, Seleucus Secundus? It's their home world, right. Okay, it's their, it's, they're born and raised on Yeah, Seleucus that only a certain Secundus. percentage of them ever get past, out of childhood. But now it's kind of like the comparison is happening on like a very opposite side before that first comparison was like the strength of the place. Uh huh. This time it's like, 
the place in a way. Does that make sense? No, keep going. No. Okay. So like, um, who, who, who gave, who gave Salusa the Secundus is used as a prison planet. But yes. Now they want to use Arrakis as a prison planet because there was an uprising and there are many people to be used as prisoner slaves to do labor, you know, like. So the, yeah, the harsher you can make a place, the more hardy the people become right. and more devilish they become as um, soldiers. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about like, I guess it's it's what I'm finding interesting is like, who makes the comparison? Uh, the person, the, depending on who makes the compar- the comparison between those two planets, um, there's a completely different perspective. Yes. Um, when the, I think it was Duke Leto that mm-hmm. was comparing them before. Yes. Right? Uh, when he makes a comparison, he talks about how, um, how great of soldiers each of those places makes. Right. Um, when the Baron Harkonnen is talking about it, he's talking about, how great of prisoners the oppression and how great an opportunity for oppression exists on the two planets. Yes. So I don't know. I found that interesting reading between the lines. No, that and you picked, you picked it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. How it tells the Duke of like, you know what? So this is kind of the prison planets, awful place to live. This is also equally awful place to live. We could have a similar result right. just because of the place is so harsh. Right. And now the Baron is like, you know, the emperor may have inspired me and I have all these people I need to get rid of and I need people to work the spice. So right. I might as well send them there. Whoever lives, lives. Gosh. The count interjects. I suggest you not use Arrakis as a prison planet without the emperor's permission. It's probably for a lot of reasons. He doesn't want to force rivaling the Sardaukar. Also messed up. Just right. messed up. Well, of course not. The Baron shrugs off, wondering at the sudden chill in the Count's voice. Now there's a second matter to discuss between the Count and the Baron. We've discussed Sardaukar leaving Arrakis. Thufur Howitt is the second one. Here we go. The Baron told the Sardaukar that Thufur was dead, but he's not. He's in Harkonnen custody. And the Emperor now knows this. Uh Uh-oh. You must understand, Fenring. I was without a Mentat. You know that. I've never been without a Mentat. It's most unsettling. <laughs> the Baron whined. It's like he's trying to talk about his like anti-depression medicine or like right. Zoloft. Like you know, this is what I've always had. This I can't not have it. <laughs> not to say anything about anti-depression medicine or anything like that. Take your medicine. Take your medicine. Take your medicine. The Lord needs you to. If you need your medicine, take your medicine. Come on. So the question becomes, how did Howitt shift alliances? Baron says, the Duke was dead. There was nothing to fear, my dear Count. The Mentat's flesh has been poisoned. We'll administer an antidote in all his meals. Without the antidote, he'll die in a matter of days. Like, don't worry, we have this small one under control. If he ever leaves, tries to do anything, we'll just kill him. And this is where the Count says, withdraw the antidote. He knows too much to be kept alive. Like, kill him now. But you said yourself, Count, the Emperor doesn't fear exposure. That's a direct order from the Emperor himself. I won't do it. Yikes. I helped the Emperor rid himself of the troublesome Duke. And they're countering back and forth now. With the help of the Sardaukar, the Count says. And then the Baron, where else do you think the Emperor would have found... A house to provide this guy's uniforms to hide his 
you know, hand in the matter. And the Count says, I hope the Emperor doesn't believe he can move. The Baron says, I hope the Emperor doesn't believe he can move against me. The Emperor cannot believe I threaten him. Right. Yeah, because, okay, the Count said, okay, the Baron says, where else would he f- would the emperor have found a house to provide the disguising uniforms to hide his hand in this matter? And then the says he asked himself the same question, Baron, but with a slightly different emphasis. Basically saying like, yeah, he's uh, basically trying to figure out when and where he's going to do the same thing to you because you suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never read it like that. I was always thinking like if I could have taken, if I could use it any other house, I would have. Right. But then, you know, He's then the Baron responds with like, "Goodness me! You why would the Emperor come after me? I'm fantastic and perfect and lovely, you know. Like, <laughs> yes. What do you expect? You know, you're acting this way. Like, do you? What do you? What else do you expect? The Baron permitted anger and grief to edge his voice. Right? The Emperor can't believe I threaten him. <laughs> yeah. Right? But he's thinking the whole time." Let him wrong me. I could place myself on the throne while still beating my breast over how I've been wronged. I love how the Carconans love to play the victim. Yeah. Let's just let's just pour some more victimhood on it wherever we can. Oh, I've been wrong. Sitting on the throne. Oh my goodness. You guys are so mean to me <laughs> all the time. I know. As he's killing people in the background. Right. Ah. All right. No, you can't do this to me twice. I don't deserve it. (laughs) The Count's voice went dry and remote as he said, the Emperor believes what his senses tell him. Yeah. And then the Baron, dare the Emperor charge me with treason before a full Lancerad Council. Like, if you're going to do it, do it. But the Baron hopefully thinks every time, please, please do it. If you do it, I'm going to win so bad. So please do it. The Emperor need dare nothing, the Count reassured. It is the Emperor's sincere hope he'll never have to charge you with treason. Because that would be messy. That would be a whole friggin' ordeal. It's already messy. Right, but that would be extra messy. Oh my god, right. That, if he did that, it is like the Imperium is on the, on the balance. Like a new, somebody could come in, and which is what the Baron wants. Right. He wants, to, he wants to push that chaos factor a little bit more with the hope that he'll go become on top. Mm-hmm. The Baron thinks to himself, it could happen in my lifetime. Let the Emperor wrong me. All the great houses would flock to me. The Baron's voice found it difficult to keep the irony out of it, out of what he said. I've been the most loyal subject. These words hurt me beyond my capacity to express. Oh, you suck. <laughs> the, count, the Count just stuttered in his mum-mum-mums. Like he can't even tell him what he thinks of him. The Baron nodded to the Count. Oh, yes, yes. It's time to go to the arena. Indeed, the Count said, as they left the cone of silence, making their way towards the minor houses at the end of the right. hall. Good, I don't want to talk to you anymore, so... Let's... Right, conversation done. I'm over this. You're awful. <laughs> so as they're walking towards him, the Count says, the houses minor wait for you to lead them. The Baron Ooh. smiles, thinking, double meaning. Double meaning. Yikes. End scene. Which is pretty a pretty salty thing to say. You know, it's like, 
you'll only ever be worthy of ruling like the minor the list when the, he, the, the lower folk when uh when the baron's thinking oh i plan on ruling everybody right. everybody it's a little spice count there's all spice all right thoughts on these uh these two little notes here this conversation between the emperor's uh you know a man and the baron um Mm, yes i guess i mean it's just the the exhausting politics of the imperium just like oh god like you everybody's got everybody else caught in five different traps and redundancies and plans within plans it's just like jeez it's a lot it's a lot to keep track of as a reader it's a like i can't imagine being in it, you know, um, man, that, yeah, I, I did really like the count as a character. This whole like switch from an awkward Jeff Goldblum to a very stoic and serious, straight to business Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> he would be so perfect, perfect, be so perfect. And you know what? I think the whole internet also agrees with us on this one, <laughs> right? He's been fan cast, just do it. All right, so second part of this chapter, we're going to the arena. Let's go. So the Baron begins to lead the house's minor to the box where they're going to go watch the gladiators and the Count's at his elbow. And he's walking through the hall and the Baron looks up to see the painting of the old Duke Atreides. He stole the painting. He the stole bull. the painting. And then on the other side, the mounted bull. How just, rude. He just has trophies. Right. Which is just scummy. He just, you know, another one off the list. Oh, that was good. Yeah, that was a good, yeah. <laughs> Feeling a sense of foreboding. <laughs> He wonders why the late Duke hung these on his own wall. And then he. When you get in like these is a symbol, like a symbol of don't get over your head. Right. Don't let the pride get you. Right. As you're going to arena. I don't know if the Baron will ever understand, like always, he'll always let the pride get in the way. Right. In this. And so I just think it's a, it's a funny image, mm. but he feels that feeling of, I don't like them. Why is the, the bull that killed him across from him where this happened? Right. As an imagery, don't let this happen. All right. And then the count says something. He says, mankind has uh, mm, uh, only one mm, science. And what science is that? The Baron asked. It's a science of mm, um, discontent, the count said. All right. Remember the last time we saw, do you remember that saying? The science of discontent? No. All right. Where was it? Where was it? Show me. Muhadib says it. Muhadib. When? Do you have a mark? Yeah, I do. Yeah, chapter 19. It's the chapter that Jessica awoke in the dark, feeling a premonition of stillness under her. Uh, Is the right where they get, right after the attack on Arakeen? Yeah. Yui. Nam has taken out, put the tooth into Duke Lido, right. the tooth, the tooth, and then Je- Lady Jessica wakes up to being gagged and they're taken out. Right. right and the Baron's going to walk over her and Paul are going to escape. Right. So that chapter says... This is the quote from The that quote chapter? from that okay. chapter, there should be a science of discontent. People need hard times and oppression to develop psychic muscles. From the collected sayings of Muhadib. Yes. Science. That's a good quote. Science of discontent. And so, yeah. So you want to see a mirror between Muhadib and the Count. They both understand 
yeah. that there's only one science. What is that science? The science of discontent. Cool. All the houses minor, as they heard the count say this, started laughing at the, the joke with the right tone of appreciation. Right. Like they like they know they're supposed to. Right. <laughs> or, they, or they think they're supposed right. to. Right. <laughs> and so they walk out and cars come whizzing in to pick up the baron and the count and the lord and the ladies minor. And so the baron turns around saying to the count and probably to the crowd, I hope you'll not be discontented in the performance of my nephew today, Count Fenring. <laughs> you know, I can I can play on a joke. <laughs> <laughs> the count says, I'm only filled with a sense of anticipation. The count chuckled to make it seem like a joke, patting the Baron's arm and getting into the car. <laughs> yeah, you suck. <laughs> the Baron climbed in the car and sat next to the count. The whole time as they're going to the arena, the Baron was just thinking, right. just pissed. Right. Why does the Emperor's errand boy making that particular joke in front of the house's minor? It was obvious the Count seldom did or said anything that was not necessary. Right. Or used two words instead of one, or withheld himself to a single meaning in a single phrase. Like he's thinking over, what did he mean? Why did he say that in front of them right there? You know, he's, he's trying to piece it all together. What do you think he meant? Saying there's only one science, is the science of discontent in front of everybody. Uh, I don't know, maybe like... As I'm still like trying Pay to attention to the way, uh, the way you're, the way you treat people, the way you abuse, the way people. you do stuff like that is not going to work out in your favor, which um, is you know, okay. maybe that's like what he's hinting at. But like I saw he that. wanted the house's minor to hear him saying that, knowing that they would just laugh as proper decorum dictates, dictates, yeah. but, um, that maybe that would like plant a seed in their head of like, oh, maybe there is some discontent. Maybe we don't feel that great about this guy, but you know, I, I, I don't know. I That's, do like that idea, especially coming off the last conversation where it's like your methods will not, they will not serve you well here. Mm -hmm. And you have not figured out how to use your own. He like oppresses people versus wedding the situations make him stronger. Right. And yeah. All right. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So they arrived to the arena in a spectacular show. Horns blaring, throngs of people in tears above them. <laughs> waving flags and the whole nine yards. They sit down in their special luxury golden box. Golden box. And as they sit there, the count leans over to the baron saying... You know, don't you? The emperor has not given you official sanction to your choice of heir. <gasps> what, what, what? The baron just kind of looks up, stares at Fenring, shocked. The count says, that is why I'm here today, the emperor said. The emperor wishes me to report on whether you've chosen a worthy successor. And there's nothing like the arena to expose the truth of a person behind the mask. Oh, attention! And you notice there was no hums in there either. Right. There was, he, was, he was speaking straight. straight. He was the straight uh, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, straight talker right there, switching <laughs> up. The Baron grated. The Emperor promised me free choice of air. We shall see, Fenring said, 
and he turned to greet his lady, switching again. <laughs> Together they sat down, smiling at the Baron. They looked down at the sand on the arena floor to see Fade Routha emerge with a black glove and a long knife in the right hand and a white glove and a short knife on the left hand. So the black knife is usually the one that's not poisoned and the white knife is the one that's usually poisoned. Yes, black to show purity, white to show poison, yes. which was an interesting... Uh, it's, a, it's kind of like a different, not what you would expect. You would expect white to show purity and black to show something sinister like poison. But the maybe tradition is the opposite. Maybe that's why you wear all black to show your purity. Aw. Evan wears all black all the time. I love that. <laughs> I'm pure. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd cheered as Fade held up his knives to the sun. He saluted the three corners of the triangular arena in an ancient manner. He sheathed both knives and adjusted his body shield. <laughs> the moment carried its own suspense, but Fade dragged it out with the sure hand of showmanship. Now, I just want to just, before we get into this fight, we've seen our other, say, protagonist, right? Paul in an arena fight. Right. When he fought Jameis, and now we're going to see the oh, Harkonnen in his fight. And let's just look at how different those fights are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They're massively different. Oh, yeah. Basically, you're talking about what Paul was doing was UFC, but like in 90s back alley UFC, where it was just like straight up people fist fighting each other with like no kind of thought for rules or anything, you know? And what we're about to see is a lot like WrestleMania, you know? <laughs> yes. There's, I see a, that. there's a lot of stage play happening. We even with like the shields and the poison and all the right, extra right. grandeur. Yeah. Right. 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 In the silence, Fade stepped back two paces and shouted, I dedicate this battle too. He paused, knowing his like don't do it, don't do it. Knowing his uncle would think that in his pride he would dedicate the fight to Lady Fenring, to my uncle and patron, the bad, the blab, the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Fade <laughs> shouted up in the box. The Baron sighed. <laughs> Fade turned to face the big door across from him, the door from with which the special gladiator would emerge. But there's a plan. Howitt has devised a plan that was admirable, simple, and direct. So the goal here is to replace the old slave master with the person that Fade wants. So this is what they would do. Okay, 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 question. Question. Right off the bat about uh, Howitt's plan that we're about to talk about. Is this plan like for fade specifically or is it like how it with the baron are planning all of this you know what i mean it seems like how it just went up to fade and was like yo fade you want to get in good with the you know like set yourself up real nice do this and like don't let anybody know you that's what i feel like it's it's yeah. like Okay. Is that how it is knowing fades from rising up the ranks? He wants to keep his own like thing, he knows how they work. But to say, Fade, I got a plan. I use my supercomputerness, figured out this thing. What you really want is a new 
slave master. Right. You're right, I do. I've been fighting these slaves. This is how we're going to do it. The Baron is trying to kill you, or somebody's trying to kill you, and we're going to kill off the slave master. Gotcha. So the Baron is not in on it at all. Right. Okay, I just wanted that moment of clarity before we go into this whole point. Right. Yeah, so there it is. Um, so the slave would not be drugged, which would which is opposite of the custom. Mm-hmm. Usually slaves were drugged before you fight them, which I feel like is already cheating right off oh, the bat. Oh, yeah. 100%. Totally. If you're going to fight somebody and you're not, yeah. All right. I guess they just want to win all the time. Duh. So instead, that there would be a key word that would immobilize the slave gladiator at a critical instant, whenever Fade wanted. And, and what's that word? Scum. 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 From the audience perspective, it would seem as though the undrugged slave slipped into the arena to kill the Na Baron, and all evidence would point to the slave master. But the Na Baron, Fade Ratha, would have the secret word to immobilize him and kill him when he, so he's still safe. Right. Right. The door opened, and out charged a tall, muscular man, shaved head. There was blood on the man's arm that he had probably carved himself in the shape of a Atreides hawk. I was expecting this guy to be like somebody we knew. Okay. But I don't don't think that was, at least that wasn't like outwardly said. So I think it's just a random Atreides soldier. Yeah. Like, you know, in the movie, you could have that one extra guy that could pop up twice. Right. Like he just paid paid a little extra money. Right. But it's not like somebody we know, you know, like they went and picked up gurney or you no. know like it wasn't some like random like one of the characters that we already you met. expected somebody to be somebody we knew yes not yet <laughs> this was the duke leto's man the harkonnens took from arrakis this is any old atreides right. soldier like this is any it should be anybody chills ran through fade at just the thought of facing one atreides man and he wondered if how it had his own plans plans within plans right if Fade was killed by the slave, if he was killed by the gladiator, the slave master would be blamed and not how it. Like, he could kill two birds with one stone. Like, who's, who's, what's going on here? All right. Uh, how a plan echoed in his head. You win, come out the hero, kill gladiator, man to man in spite of treachery. The slave master will be executed and your man will take his place. Fade felt his own excitement kindle. Let there be treachery in Howard's mind. I can handle this slave. It's my long, it's the long knife that holds the poison. Even Howitt doesn't know that. So yeah, so he's he's even letting his pride, you know, it's like even if Howitt is betraying me, I can handle this guy. It's fine. I got I got something up nicely, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even Howitt doesn't know I can right. do this. Yeah. The slave called out, Hey Harkonnen, are you prepared to die? Ooh. Stillness struck the whole arena. Slaves do not issue challenges. Fade could see how it's planned. He must have told this man that he'd have one true chance to kill the Na Baron. A tight smile crossed Fade Routh's mouth. It was known the Na Baron never gave a quick death. He delighted in demonstrating rare poisons. So, again, creepy. This probably is like hundredth 
man, so he's top like 99 other people. He's got a reputation. Right. The gladiator pounced forward. Fade quickly danced away, leaving a barbed shaft in the slave's forearm. So he got like a, he's like a barb right in there. Gotcha. The crowd cheered. Yay! The slave, he says, I do not feel your needle. He shouted at Fade. Now, with the barb, it's like you can't, you put it in there, but you can't take it out without ripping tendons and everything. Right. It's like a, like a little, like yes. a check marky looking arrow kind right. of thing. Right. That you can't take out. Right. And the slaves, the are only in half, they have half a shield, whereas the knob baron is in a full shield. Right. So again, more just, ugh. So you could like, for, for uh, Fade, he'd like, could dodge an attack, get around the half shield, and stick him on the other side. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is never a fair fight. Right. Typical Harkonnen. Right. Never a fair fight. The gladiator pounced again, catching Fade by surprise. Only his youth's quickness saved him. Fade left, left another barb in the slave's right arm. The crowd cheered. Yay! Fade withdrew to the center of the arena, drew his long blade, and waited. The gladiator ran towards Fade. I fear you not, Harkonnen swine. Your tortures cannot hurt a dead man, and I'll have you dead beside me. Fade withdrew the short knife (laughs) and grinned. Okay. Their shields clashed as they struggled. Die on your own poison, the gladiator said as he began forcing the white-gloved hand inward towards Fade. Because he knows that that's the tradition. He knows that that's supposed to be the poison knife. Right. Fade brought his long knife down on the slave's arm. But the slave's barb that was in his arm was used, like deflected the knife. Right. Fade felt a moment of desperation. Uh, ooh, wait, I'm kind of messed up right now. As, that, was, that wasn't supposed to happen. That wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> as, as the short blade was continued to be pressed toward him. And that's where he does it. Scum. Fade gasped. At the key word, the gladiator's muscles obeyed with momentary slackness. Does not compute. Enough for Fade to open a space between them, draw the poison tip of the long blade against the slave's chest. There he goes. The gladiator staggered backwards with instant agony. Fade stood in silence. Everyone had seen it. The wrong blade had carried the poison. You... The man moaned. Fade took a step back to give death its space. The the slave staggered forward. Each step was his only step in his universe. One day, one of us will get you. He gasped and died face down. Yikes. Fade walked up, rolled him over with his foot, to give the galleries a clear view of his face. But instead, they saw a knife in the, the gladiator's own knife protruding from his heart. So he's like, he's basically like, you were about to kill me, but I'm going to kill myself so that you can't say that you killed me. Yeah. <laughs> the crowd erupted. Fade looked up to see all cheering except the Baron, who sat with hand to his really fat chin (laughs) in deep contemplation. The Count and the Lady were both staring down with 
masks of smiles. I just imagine them just like everyone's cheering. And they're just like stone cold, like statues, mm-hmm. just smiling, smiling the ex- the exact amount that is appropriate for the situation. Ugh, so creepy. <laughs> the Baron thought to himself, I'll have that slave master dead over a slow fire this night. There it is. So, yeah, plan worked. Ta-da. The handlers came rushing over to Fade and the body. Fade quickly bent down and removed the knife from the slave's body, putting it in his hand. The crowd was still enraptured with what Fade had done. Everyone's going nuts. And what Fade then says, says he says, like, bury the man with um, the knife in his hand, not in his chest. Because right. he deserved it. It was like an act of mercy, an act of grace in this last moment. Yeah, but the, the crowd had been cheering, right? They, they were like, they wanted his head. Right, they were cheering, head, 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 head. Because they wanted him to cut his head off. And yeah. Hold it up. Like, yeah, I got victory. Victorious. Yeah. But, uh, and then, that was, that was something I think we just we just missed real quick, was like, the Baron that was, hears the crowd and he's like, oh man, like they're into it. They're really feeling Fade right now. I don't know if this is good for me, but I'm going to say, yeah, Fade, go ahead. Cut off his head. And he like gives him permission, like makes some kind of hand sign. And then Fade decides specifically not to cut off his head. Yeah. Which is even more like wounding to the Baron and his his whole sense of control over everybody, which I just thought was really interesting. Fade, Fade has his own, his own plans within plans. Now he's working his own angle yes. on this whole situation. Yes. And then, and uh, the count and lady Fenring actually really liked that. He didn't cut off his head that he liked right. mercy and acknowledgement, um, which is kind of uh, a different way of doing things than say the Baron would do with the Baron is oppressive and taking things. There was a little bit of grace given there to his opponent. And I think that is just, yeah, it's good to know. The Baron spoke wearily. I have to order a feat. You cannot send people home like this. Energy's unspent. So the Baron signaled a big party now in honor of fate and was just going nuts. Fade, 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 fade. Rush the field kind of moment. Right. But the Baron is like allowing it to happen. And he knows they'll be safe. Everybody loves Fade at that point. Right. He's their savior. Mm. The Count turned to his lady and spoke in their odd humming language. (laughs) It was planned, the entire performance, without a doubt. It stinks of Howitt. Indeed. (laughs) I demand either the Baron... I had demanded earlier that the Baron eliminate Howitt, said the Count. The lady says... That was an error, my dear. <laughs> the Count says, I, I see that now. The lady, the Harkonnens may have a new Baron before long. Just looking at how the people love Faye. Right. The Count says, if that's how it's planned, the young one will be more amenable co- to control. True. Lady Fenring says, for us, after tonight? And then the Count says, you don't anticipate difficulty seducing him. My little brood mother. No, my love. You saw the way he looked at me. Yes, and now I can see why we must have that bloodline. Indeed, it is obvious we must hop, we must have a hold on him. I'll plant deepest in his deepest self the necessary prana bindu f- phrases to bend him. We'll leave as soon as possible. 
As soon as you're sure, the Count said. She shuddered. By all means, I should not want to bear a child in this terrible place. Do you know what they're doing, Evan? They are trying to get control of Fadrotha because they're like, clearly he is in whatever strange way a worthy heir to the Baron. But if they can kind of, if they can get um, Lady Fenring to like implant some Bene Gesserit magic stuff in his brain and they can you know control and add his DNA to the Bene Gesserit project of controlling bloodlines um, they will be able to control that family Mm -hmm. once the Baron is gone so how is the Lady Fenrir going to do that she's uh, let's just say it she's going to give it to him Yes. Yes. She's going to seduce him sexually right. in order to produce an offspring via with Harkonnen blood that she right. will then bear out and then give to the Bene Gesserit lines. Right. Just like Jessica. Right. Um, um, which, like, at the end of this whole chapter, it becomes clear that she was doing that from the beginning when she was like, you do not have my permission. She was, like, adding a little, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to say. She was adding some like, maybe playing hard to get. Right. Yes. Exactly. Um, or just like adding some forbidden fruit kind of vibes to the whole situation because that just made Fade want her even more. Right. So, yeah, it was, it was really cool. And so she, yeah, she shudders. So she knows. Okay, I have to have a child, but I don't want to have it here. So let's just get. I'll get pregnant, which. For her, will probably happen on the first time because she's been a Jesuit. Her body does; she knows exactly what's happening. Right. And then they'll peace out and get out of town. The things we do in the name of humanity, the Count said. <laughs> Yours is the easy part, she said. Like you don't have to sleep with him. And he says there are some ancient prejudices I overcome. He said they're quite primordial, you know. I think he's just jealous, right? As a he's a Count and his lady, they're they're together. Dude's gonna sleep with my wife. Like, no, thank you. It's weird. No. And just where she says, my poor dear, patted his cheek. You know this is the only way to be sure of saving that bloodline. Because you know what? They just lost the Atreides bloodline. So it would seem. Yeah, so it would so yeah, they need the Harkonnen bloodline Mm -hmm. now. Like they have to thousands of years of just down the toilet with Jessica's mistakes. So now we gotta start over. He spoke in a dry voice. I quite understand we do. We won't fail, she said. The Count reminded her. Guilt starts as a feeling of failure. I have that one highlighted in my book. Yeah, same. There will be no guilt, she said. The hypoligation of Fade Rasa's psyche and his child in my womb, and then we'll go. Bing, bang, boom. Easy. We'll just manipulate him, plant him deep in his psyche, take his seed, and take off. The uncle, he said, have you seen such distortion? He's pretty fierce, she said, but the nephew could well grow to be worse. Is there somebody worse out there than the Baron? Right. And now they see something really interesting, which you just keep reading. Thanks to that uncle, you know, when you think that this, oh, 
when you think that this lad could have been some in, oh, I'm going to start completely over because it's such a good line. <laughs> Thanks to that uncle, you know, when you think what this lad could have been with some other upbringing, with the Atreides code to guide him, for example. It's sad, she said. Right. And that's why the Duke Leto is that Atreides sincerity. Right. That code of ethics. People are just like a product of their upbringing and their surrounding. It's like you have the same potential, but the code that you were brought up in, you know, like the code that Fadrotha was brought up in twisted him to be this like fake poison wielding deceitful awful person yeah that's definitely what frank herbert is allu- alluding right. alluding to yeah yes, yes um the count continues would that we could have saved both the atreides youth and this one from what i heard that young paul the most admirable lad good union of breeding and training he shook his head but we shouldn't waste sorrow over the aristocracy of misfortune that's a Bene Gesserit saying, she said. Because <laughs> she's probably saying to them, saying sayings to him all the time. Right. He's just memorizing them slowly. <laughs> you have sayings for everything, he protested. You'll like this one, she says, as she does it right now. It goes, do not count a human dead until you've seen his body. Even then, you can make a mistake. Bam! Bum, there bum, bum! That ends chapter... What is this, 30, 36 now? It doesn't have chapters in the book. So 35? I, yeah, there it is. Yeah. 35. Man. That yeah. last quote. That's that's her again, throwing the phoenix, the rising from the ashes Woo! reference. Uh-huh. So that's what made me think she might know a little. She might have a clue that... We just know the Bene Gesserit have been operating for tens of thousands of years. Right. They have all of these. They've learned. They have classes when they're little to teach religion. Right. All of the religions. Every religion. Every ancient thing that goes underneath. They know all the stories. And I mean, if that's the one thing, they never found Jessica's body, never found Paul's body. And even then you can make a mistake. Right. If you find the body. Ooh, buddy. Oh, man. Anna says in our live chat, (laughs) Lady Fenring is trying to get knocked up. That is exactly. (laughs) And, uh. Exactly. It's the best. And it's the best. There is one comment here. Oh. Somebody commented on YouTube that the Harkonnens did nothing wrong. They've been strong and smart from centuries of struggle. They should have ruled the galaxy if not for those meddling witches. Oh, the Bene Gesserit. The, Car- the Carinos have become weak and lazy. And that is definitely the Harkonnens' perspective. Yeah. If the Bene Gesserit hadn't gotten in the way, they already would have had it. And that, that stuff comes from um, the Brian Herbert novels. They've, uh, he does a bunch of prequels and whatnot. Okay, there's, okay. There's a lot of controversy when it comes to those books. Interesting, interesting. But there is, I love that idea of the Harkonnens are trying to get something that they believe that they've earned for so long and over time. And the Carinos have become weak. They're letting the Bene Gesserit work all of the things behind the scenes all the time. And because the emperor... Is trapped, right? In Princess Irulan's writings, we talk about how, like, he's even trapped in his own cage and he can't really do anything. Right. And he's trying to do all these things and he's sending Count Fenring out, but who's really in control, Count Fenring or Lady Fenring? True. Yeah, I don't know. It, that, yeah, it is an interesting perspective, but it kind of feels like the people that are like, hey, uh, 
Thanos is making a lot of sense in this movie. <laughs> and like, those and those villains maybe like you know that meme that's like I guess <laughs> you know like looking at it dude you know? well yeah <laughs> no but those are always the best villains though yeah. the best villains are yeah. the ones that you're like you're watching the movie reading the book and you're like they start to make a lot of sense holy crap am i the villain in this scenario and right. in this i mean i think frank herbert in this book at least really does paint you know who your villains are right away yeah and their characteristics are they are villainous and everything they do is villainous um, but the question becomes like, who is pulling the strings? And I mean, does charisma really make a good leader? Because the Baron has charisma. Fade has charisma. Right. They could do anything. Um, so yeah. Any last thoughts? Uh, are you ready to go back to Arrakis and get off Giddy Prime? Yes. The Harkonnens are, uh, Harkonnens are gross and I do not like, having anything to do with them <laughs> i don't like reading their chapters they freak me out they're like the embodiment of evil and deceitfulness and my chaotic good alignment cannot hear that well if you agree with evan you can check us out on twitter at reading dune yes send us your favorite um favorite moments yes. in dune reading dune at gmail.com we just got an email today um that I was saying more favorite moments, more people reading, and we love to hear it. We yes. just it's just fun to know that people are listening, fun that people know right. we're reading, and we have this little tribe of people that is reading Dune together. We love it. Yeah. Send us send us your favorite moments. And videos and audio. And uh, we want to hear your lovely voices because you have to listen to ours all the time. So shoot us yours. And on that note, stay spicy, my friends. See ya. Do 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 do. I'm on this computer. There we go. Okay.